Welcome to Bhagavad Gita class. This is week 50, um, <clears throat> the last part of chapter 14. And we're speaking about the modes of material nature. Uh, the modes are consistently spoken about in the Vedas, throughout the Vedas. This particular chapter is getting more into detail about how those modes work. And we're actually seeing through example um, in the Bhagavatam um, how the modes are working in different circumstances where it's uh, either through um, a conversation or through a pastime, but throughout the Bhagavatam. So if we really understand these modes, then we can understand uh, more in detail how material energy is acting um, upon the, the living entity in this world. And so some of the things we discussed in last chapter, uh, we read, is what happens when we're in one of the particular modes at the time of death. So what, what happens? So... Um, when one dies in the mode of goodness, he attains the pure, higher planets of the great sages. One in goodness attains higher planetary systems like Brahmaloka or Janaloka, and there enjoys godly happiness. The word amalam is significant. It means free from the modes of passion and ignorance. There are impurities in the material world, but the mode of goodness is the purest form of existence in the material world. In the material world. There are different kinds of planets for different kinds of living entities. Those who die in the mode of goodness are elevated to the planets where great sages and great devotees live. So on the other hand, when one dies in the mode of passion, he takes birth amongst those engaged in fruitive activities. And when one dies in the mode of ignorance, he takes birth in the animal kingdom. So then we described, we, just, we read about what are the symptoms or the, what are the results of the different modes. So as stated here, the result of pious action is pure, and it is said to be in the mode of goodness. But action done in the mode of passion results in misery, misery, and miserliness. And action performed in the mode of ignorance results in foolishness. So activities in the mode of passion result in misery, and action performed in the mode of ignorance results in foolishness. From the mode of goodness, real knowledge develops. From the mode of passion, greed develops. And from the mode of ignorance develops foolishness, madness, and illusion. Those situated in the mode of goodness gradually go upward to the higher planets. Those in the mode of passion live on the earthly planets. And those in the abominable mode of ignorance go down to the hellish world. So we can understand that there's unlimited living entities. So remember how in this particular chapter also it was described how the modes are fighting for supremacy. And the modes, the three modes, they mix into actually unlimited variety. So just like we have three primary colors, right? What are those colors? Oh, red, blue, and green. Red, blue, and green. Okay, so but then you can you can take that palette and you can mix those right into basically a million colors. Million colors, yeah. So in the same way, although there's these three wide categories, these modes are acting, and so it's very specific a mode that's working. It's yellow. Hmm? It's yellow. Red, blue, and yellow. Yeah. Red, blue, red, and yellow. Blue and yellow. I'm sorry. Yellow. Okay. Yellow. Red, blue, and yellow. Okay. <laughs> if you're wrong, we have a recording. <laughs> just joking. I'm just joking. So, yeah, so, um, so these modes are, are mixing, and they're acting upon the living entity. And the false ego is thinking that I'm doing. So first of all, we're thinking on this body, and then we're thinking that I'm acting in this world. And actually, Krishna says, neither of those are true. You're not your body, and you're not even acting in this world. It's the modes pulling us. So, yeah, do we want to be in this state of conditioned state where basically we're just going along for the ride? Yeah, the, the free eternal soul is there, but they're not, they're not able to control the flow of these three powerful uh, rivers, these three powerful channels that are pushing the living entity in different directions. Just like, you know, when, when technology develops and smartphones come out, everybody needs a smartphone. Everybody's pushed to have a smartphone. See, I'm holding it in my hand right now. So we're pushed by these modes to behave and operate in a certain way. And actually in Bhagavad Gita it says, we don't act, we don't induce other people to act, and we don't create the fruit of action. So you see, <laughs> see the, the illusion is that I'm acting, I'm inducing others to act, and I'm creating the fruits of my action. 
But actually, it says this is all carried out by the modes of nature. And we're, we're along for the ride. So we want to become transcendental so we can regain our freedom, our ability to act, as the soul to act. Because the soul is just dormant. It's just lying there. and isn't able to express um, the soul's nature. So then we, dis- we discuss what are the results or benefits of transcending the modes of nature. So when one properly sees that in all activities, no other performer is at work than these modes of nature, and he knows the Supreme Lord, who is transcendental to all these modes, he attains my spiritual nature. We have to know the Lord and know his position. So then Srila Prabhupada said, with the association of a bona fide spiritual master, he can see his real position. And by such an understanding, he can become fixed in full Krishna consciousness. A man in Krishna consciousness is not controlled by the spell of the material modes of nature. It has already been stated in the seventh chapter that one who has surrendered to Krishna is relieved from the activities of material nature. Remember, it says these modes are so difficult to overcome, but I can relieve you if you surrender to me. For one who is able to see things as they are, the influence of material nature gradually ceases. So then this particular verse uh, states, When the embodied being is able to transcend these three modes associated with the material body, he can become free from birth, death, old age, and their distresses, and can enjoy nectar even in this life. By his advancement, this is Srila Prabhupada, by his advancement in spiritual knowledge, he can be free from the influence of the modes of nature. He can enjoy the happiness of spiritual life even in this body, because after leaving this body, he is certainly going to the spiritual sky. But even in this body, he can enjoy spiritual happiness. In other words, devotional service in Krishna consciousness is a sign of liberation from material entanglement. And this will be explained in the 18th chapter. When one is free from the influence of the modes of nature, he enters into devotional service. Okay. So now we are going to um, complete the chapter and see Krishna's solution. So, Krishna. So, um, this one just, this particular quote just really popped out at me because uh, it was in the purport of Prabhupada um, from the 27th verse uh, near the end of the purport. And it says, devotional service to the Lord is very simple. One should always engage in the service of the Lord, should eat the remnants of foodstuffs offered to the deity, smell the flowers offered uh, to the lotus feet of the Lord. Uh, see the places where the Lord has had transcendental pastimes. Read of the different activities of the Lord. His reciprocation uh, of love and with his devotees. Chant always the transcendental vibration. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. And observe the fasting days. Uh, Yes, the appearances, the appearances and disappearances of the Lord and his devotees, by following such a process, one becomes completely detached from all material activities. So this really, really stuck out at me because, again, Prabhupada is a way of putting a verse and making it really step-by-step, very simple. This is what you need to do, you know. And um, so as far as the understanding of that, it's pretty clear, you know. Um, uh, Prabhupada explains it so clearly that I can't say it any better than that. Um, basically, practicing bhakti yoga, you know. Um, as far as application goes, um, again, just taking it step by step. I, I find that oftentimes that my own challenges of trying to actually keep that steady and going all the time. Because again, in the modes of, of material nature, it becomes a challenge to do that. Um, and when things come up in life that creates obstacles for us, um, either we can dwell deeper into that or we can get distracted. Um, I've done both. Uh, do I follow this steadily all the time as I should? No. Um, but I'm improving. And that's, that's, the main, that's the main focus. Um, 
but uh, the basis of it is always, to me, always been grounded uh, in the, uh, the mantra. That's your foundation, and everything else is built out of that. That's for purifying everything. I, I love the talk that uh, Kritanyagna did t this morning, and he was talking about the Pacific, about this kind of process too, which was very interesting. But anyway, that's, that's the application. Just follow exactly this very, it is very simple. Devotional service is very simple. It's, it's, uh, it's easy to describe. It can be uh, challenging to do steadily and do um, steadily. But um, with help of devotees, spiritual master guiding you, and uh, surrounding yourself with uh, you know, the nectar, kind of swimming in the nectar of the Maha Mantra, you can, you can follow it. Last time we described a little bit about the sun rising, the sun rising on the horizon of our heart to eliminate the, the, the fog and the clouds of ignorance. So um, there's two natures acting, just like, you know, we can't control the weather, right? But say that we could control the weather, say that, you know, it's, it's a cloudy, it's a very foggy morning and we can bring the, the sun up. The sun's going to push away those those. Um, clouds the fog. So in the same way, Maya is present. Uh, the modes are, are, are always constant in this world. Because the, the modes are integral with this world. The modes are there and they're acting. But as soon as we, we begin to bring we have the we have the ability, based on this gift that's been given to us, to bring the sun of Krishna consciousness um, up into our life. Um, so the more we choose to bring Krishna into our consciousness, bring Krishna into our consciousness, the more the, the illusion will, will, will dissipate. Um, but either it's cloudy or it's Krishna. So it's, it's, it's this constant um, struggle, kind of Kirtan Yaga Prabhu was talking about how uh, there's a mixed bhakti, right? So sometimes we're Krishna consciousness and sometimes uh, we're still affected by the modes of nature. So yeah, the solution is, just like you're reading, all these different methods of devotional service is to continue to bring Krishna into our um, review, into our life, and keep on going with these practices. So, yeah, thank you. Okay. Hare Krishna. So, I don't know where I read this, but um, while I was contemplating, while I was reading this, um, uh, it talks about um, the impediments of the devotional service, which are the high birth, high education, and uh, there are a few things. Um, uh, and those are the ones which really uh, make us take away from following the devotional service as you're saying like we have this we have to get the sun and uh, it's always foggy uh, but getting the sun uh, with those impediments and being like already in the material world trying to lead a materialistic life uh, um, putting devotional service is a tough call um, it's like um, it's always like we fall down and trying to wake up again fall down wake up so Hoping one day Krishna will make it steady with the sun always being there. Here we go. That's true, your desire will happen. Definitely. Okay. But it's not anything but I can speak extemporaneously. Um, a couple of things have come to my mind in reading these last seven verses. One is how, how Maya has covered painted like you know everything and you're driving in the car and there's you know hamburgers for sale and all of you know and and sex and you know and everything out there that um so i i you know, often think that we are living in a hell realm and you know it is this consciousness that brings us up out of it and how many people don't know that you know that it looks so beautiful on one level but it's just so horrible um on so many levels in that reality, you know, is so prevalent. Um, let's see, there was another, I think that'll do for now. Yeah. <laughs> right. Thank you.
It's like when you're in when you're in Maya, when you're in the most, the vantage point is so small. You know, it's just like, you know, we've all been there. We look back at our life, the things that we've done. Like I wasn't thinking. I should have I should have had bigger perspective on life. Oh, right? and also, um, like knowing what mode we're acting in. You know, as we go through the day, today I made that fabulous pizza, you know, and I realized, like, I was in the mode of, it's passionate goodness, and, and painting is really an interesting, self-reflective tool for growth, because really us artists are so involved in the mode of passion so often, you know, in creating something, and then there's attachment to the end of it, and then there's humility and embarrassment. So it's really a good, like all these things are, are really good challenges to observe one's behavior, you know, or getting in the car and going someplace. Are we in the mode of goodness, ignorance, or passion? Usually I'm not so much in the mode of ignorance, but I am in the mode of passion quite often. And so watching that, just noting it, you know, awareness brings change. It's not like I'm embarrassed about it or it is my nature. So I just, you know, that awareness creates change and refinement. And so it's just really wonderful to be aware of who we are and what we're doing and, you know, what mode is affecting us. Are you in the mode of passion to get to the temple? Yes. Okay. Yes, yeah. said, Oh, Mataji, you are so enthusiastic. <laughs> <laughs> I can't hear or see this. It's transcendental passion. <laughs> what about what is your intention when you're making the pizza? What is your intention? Well, oftentimes it's just the thrill of the creation. Uh -huh. So there's like it's just a, a, a frenzy of actually passion. I mean, I'm offering it. I'm talking to that little altar, you know, on the side of the kitchen. I'm usually talking to the Lord while I'm really busy, but I also realize that I have a, you know, a greedy appetite. And so I pay, you know, I watch them like, oh, look at you, you know, <laughs> you're, you're hungry, you're greedy. Um, but it, it's, you know, it's nice. It's refining. And I say, Krishna, you know, Lord. And also I have a picture of my guru in a younger mm -hmm. stage of his life, making, you know, being in an offering mode. So I don't really have a false um, spiritual persona. I, I really try to be as honest and innocent and straightforward and funny mm -hmm. in my relationships with myself in the kitchen, with my altar, yeah. and with my inner dialogue. Sounds very nice. Yeah. We've, all we've all tasted your prashana. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds transcendental to us. All right. So I chose part of the purport of text 26. <clears throat> um, it says, Bhakti Yoga means that the Lord is there, the devotee is there, and the activity of exchange of love between the Lord and the devotee is there. I mean, this is something that we all know, but it's just so sweet every single time you read about it. Like, every single time, it's like a different experience or a different feeling of, like, either embrace or or encouragement or, you know, some, something else. So it's it's really sweet every time it comes up. So that's why I wanted to emphasize it. And, um, I mean, I don't really have a description because it's very straightforward. Um, and the application is that always to constantly, like, remember bhakti yoga is a relationship with a personal God. So when I'm in the temple, like, be fully present, you know, be fully present. When I'm chanting, try to be fully present because it is a relationship and he is a person. We're not doing this just, like, because it, it's a ritual or something like that. Like, he is a person. It's real. So, and, and he's here in, in everywhere. So, yeah, that's a, a good reminder of what bhakti yoga really is. I have a question here on the same uh, paragraph I was reading, but I didn't get, like, it says, like, therefore the individuality of two persons is present in the Supreme Personality of Godhead and the individual person. Otherwise, there would be no meaning to bhakti yoga. Can can you I mean can you explain this uh, statement that you had? When, when, when you say two personalities, I believe it's referring to what Sundar Mahaprabhu was saying. You have for bhakti yoga, you have the individual soul, and you have Krishna, and then you have that exchange. So when he's speaking about two personalities, he's speaking about you 
and Krishna. Also, yeah. so is it like the super soul within us? So right. that's what it's like the individuality of two persons is present in the supreme personality of Godhead. So, that's it. so yeah. means the devotee, and there's the activity of the then Therefore, the individuality of two persons is present. In the Supreme Person, I've got an individual person, otherwise there would be no meaning to Bhakti Yoga. Yeah, so that's what he's speaking of. Speaking so of the individual soul and the, and the super Supreme Super soul yeah. is present in mm. the Supreme Personality of God. Right. So, there's two persons in the body. Nityananda? I just, uh, when Madhiji read that, it just reminded me, Srila Prabhupada, so many times he tries to distinguish where he successfully distinguishes between bhakti and the impersonal path. And that's why I think he wrote that there, because in the impersonal path, the idea is that the individual soul will eventually merge and disappear. (laughs) And there he's making the strong point that the individual soul is there and God is there, Krishna is there uh, in bhakti. Yeah. Right, they have one part, they have that the soul is part of God, which is correct. Yeah. They don't understand the difference, the separation. So that's where they're, they're lacking. Which is why I think we need to be um, happy about our individual personalities and mm-hmm. not try to cope them with some sort of, you know, false ritual. Right, mm-hmm. that, that our love of God begins to develop naturally as we, you know, bring up our good qualities and don't be embarrassed about our sense of humor or our relationship because there's so much variety. Mm-hmm. Krishna loves variety. Right. And so as, as Bhakti Yoga develops, then it, it thickens and it deepens and we start to be able to realize how our soul relates to Krishna. Yeah. And so that's why the, the Acharyas, they stress in the beginning, this is sadhana bhakti, this vaidhi bhakti. Because you, um, you have this process of Shraddha, Sadhu, Sangha, Bhajana, Kriya, Anatanibhati, Nishta. And, and then, so, but the heart has to become purified for that revelation to take place. That's why it's discouraged to think of ourselves as, like, I'm a gopi, or I'm a kawaru, or this. Because it has to start with um, the, the dasya mood. The what? Dasya, servitor, servitorship mood, and the vaidhi bhakti. And then it let, let Krishna reveal in time, it's a very subtle science, and it has nothing to do with this, this body, nothing to do with this body and mind, it has to do with awakening our eternal spiritual nature, and so we're, we're getting, when we're, when we're relating to Krishna, the soul is fully present, and God is fully present, and so that exchange is beginning to, to awaken, so there's no need to suppress um, that relationship, um, but not at the expense of of letting Krishna reveal himself. Because we have to remember that Krishna is the one um, in his timing revealing to us who we are and how that exchange takes place. Yes, I think if we do suppress ourselves in relationship, we um, hinder our progress. Because really when we let ourselves you know, be alive and act out, we get to see, you know, what needs refinement or, or we get slapped in the face, which is often a very good, you know, very good thing to get my address. One beautiful thing is, is having the association with sincere devotees, because yeah. we get in the practice of, as, as we're engaging in our relationship with Krishna, we're not sure about something, this happened or that happened, and we can, we can talk about it with devotees. Because sometimes a devotee would come to Prabhupada and, and, and say, uh, I have a vision of Krishna. So keep on chanting, it will go away. <laughs> so we, have, we have to be careful. We, we, we bounce off our experience off of devotees, and, you know, experienced devotees, senior devotees, advanced devotees of Krishna. So, um, but Krishna, he, he lives for that individual unique exchange. That's that's why that's why it's so sweet because he embraces each each person's individuality and, and, and he wants us to be who we are. Hey, Krishna. That's so exciting. He doesn't want us to be some dead stone or some cookie cutter KB home or something. <laughs> he wants us to be unique. We are unique selves.
Krishna, he jokes more than anybody else. <laughs> He's always joking with the residents of Vrindavan, causing mischief. They try to get too serious, and he's going to pull a joke on them. So, yeah. Um, one thing, Rana Sundari Mataji, that you said, is you said we should be present because it's a relationship. And I really need to remember that. And we all need to remember that because there's so many distractions. And I find myself reminding myself of that, but then forgetting again. And so I think it's a constant state of reminding Being ourselves. In the moment, too. Yeah. Hearing the holy names, being really focused. And what if I'm not like in Mangalarti, my mind will drift and I say that. Like, you know, get here. <laughs> get you know, get here, be here, be grateful to be here mm-hmm. and get into it. And give Krishna our attention. Yeah. Which is like for instance, one time I had this um, idea about if you say you're at a job interview, do you have to be focused? Like what if you were, you know, playing on your phone or take a phone call or uh, are looking at you know over here and so if you're in a job interview we're very eager to you know, give our full attention so the supreme personality got is that maybe we should you know give him attention I'm I'm speaking myself because I need a constant reminder of that yeah I was just saying um, that even sweeter it's like you know like I sometimes when I need like a an encouragement or something I just think about my husband like you know to be able to have a relationship, I have to give him time, I have to give him my attention, I have to be present with him. Like, I can't just be like, and I have to remind myself of that too, and he's actually like here moving and stuff, you know? (laughs) And so it's like even harder when it's like me trying to sit down with the bees. And, um, but I do remind myself, like, you have to be present because this is your time. Like, this is my date with Krishna, you know, this is your time with him. So be present and be be focused that he's here because he's no different from his name. So I just try, just just like when I'm in the temple, like when I see the deities, like most um, most of the time I just see their feet and I'm like, oh my God, their feet, just their feet. Because <laughs> um, I think it was, uh, oh, what's his name? Oh uh, no, um, Goravani. He was, um, I was watching a, a thing with him, and he, and he said, I, I'm going to tell you a secret. When you go and take darshan, just hold your, your gaze on, on their feet as, as much as you can. Don't, don't go up yet. Just, just, just look at their feet for a while, and you'll start feeling like how sweet it is, and, and you'll start feeling humble enough to just like move your gaze up and just have that like sweet moment. So I've been doing it, and it really works. Yeah. It really works. It's very sweet. Yeah, it's really important that uh, that's one thing. One thing I took away from Buddhism was that that uh, about being mindful of every single moment that you're doing. You know, when you do walking meditation or something like that, in Buddhism, you you pay attention to every single step you make. It doesn't mean that the mind doesn't wander, but it means you always go back to what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So the same thing holds true here. And it's helped me in many ways and stayed with me all those years of, of being mindful, you know, of that. It's not that my mind doesn't wander, but I acknowledge, okay, it's wandering. Mm-hmm. And then I go back and I'm back, you know, focusing on my chanting or focusing on what I need to be focusing on. So, yeah. Is there a verse in the Bhagavad Gita about that? Yeah. Yeah. How does it go again? Whenever, wherever the mind wanders, Due to his flickering and unsteady nature, you must bring it back under the control of the self. Is that one it? Yeah, I believe that's yeah. one too. Yeah. I love Mangala Arni because it is an intimate morning where nobody is going to talk to me and there is no, nothing demanded of me. It's just my relationship with the Lord and it's so beautiful and intimate and it's delicious. Well, I'm going to have to talk to you at Mangal Arti again. Don't talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> She'll give you, She'll give you <laughs> That's very sweet. Mangal Arti is very yeah, special. Yes. Yeah. So, talking about the distraction, we should first silence the mobile phone here because this is the mm-hmm. biggest distraction in this Kali Yoga. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. 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 Let's just get to the elephant in the room. It's these things. Shepherd's room? Actually, I was also having that same paragraph that 
devotional service to the lord is very simple mm-hmm. which our first speaker also told about that so i think i will not go into that detail but i was yesterday talking to my grandfather and then he was telling me that my grandmother always followed most of those devotional principles that are listed here yeah mm-hmm. so i remember in my childhood whenever i used to go to her home so there was always kirtan and she would offer the prasadam but i was always focused on prasadam yeah not in any other process <laughs> <laughs> but now i can correlate yeah that those processes were very important and those were being followed by at that time and it is good that we should also start following those processes like it is mentioned yeah devotional service is very simple it has been explained very clearly but yeah it is like your will power and determination is very important because that will guide you through the whole process of following it continuously yeah. regularly without any compromise you need to grab the that mind with, with the veins the intelligence yeah that is what radhanath yeah. radhanath swami always says your mind will wander yeah you have to always bring it back bring it back yes. yes, that is the thing so the intelligence is the driver right yes, yes. the veins <laughs> is the mind so the intelligence has to control the mind yes. so you go where where the intelligence wants the mind I also um focused on uh the purport in uh text 26 <clears throat> because you know ab- you know truth is very simple like krishna doesn't complicate the truth and um I absolutely love that because when I have conversations with certain people particularly one conversation that I had that has a lot to do with with what you guys have already touched on this whole idea that God is impersonal um and then Prabhupada kind of speaking about it here when he says the lord says uh his nature is eternal blissful and full of knowledge and the living entities are part and parcel of the supreme as gold particles are part of a gold mine just the living entity in spiritual position is as good as gold as good as krishna in quality the difference of individuality continues otherwise there would be no question of bhakti yoga bhakti yoga means that the lord is there the devotee is there and the activities of exchange of love between the lord and the devotee is there <clears throat> so it's like this this uh, reminder i've i've never struggled with this whole impersonal conception because there was a time where i i when i was transitioning out of the christian church the church for the most part is somewhat impersonal they don't really talk about it but it's kind of impersonal but in a sense i always felt that god was a person even when i was in church even though no one really talked about it because no one really knew um so i never really struggled with that idea i just thought well maybe no one knows what he looks like i just thought so that because the jesus is son of god not the god right so right yeah you know because we because i had an understanding of that whereas a lot of people see Jesus as god so they right. might say well that's that's god that's his form it's jesus mm-hmm. but i knew that jesus is the son of god so i never you know i never made that that connection there i just thought you know okay you know god is he's beyond what i can conceive you know but i know he must have a form and it's not just some old man in the sky you know what i mean i'm like and i want to get to know him <laughs> what is he like you know so anyways i was having these conversations or this particular conversation uh this past Sunday with a with a particular gentleman who has more of a kind of an impersonal conception of God which Prabhupada's describing in the next purport that it's like the preliminary stage of of realization or it's like you, you know you're Brahman realize and then there's mayavadi you know philosophy or just mayavadi um and this idea that God is impersonal and that we're somehow God and that we're God is experiencing this world through us and then at one at some point that we again merge into God. <laughs> I mean this idea is is so silly. But not really talking about that too much. I had this realization of how sad that if you if sad that if you if you actually believe that that's a really sad life. Like it's a really really like yeah. sad existence in There's my like opinion. No point to it's like cuz cuz like we yearn for love, we yearn for loving exchanges. That's kind of what motivates us. That's that's what inspires us. So if there's if 
if there's no bhakti yoga, if there's if there's no loving exchanges, if there's no reciprocation, if there's no individual personality, then what is it all for? It's a, it's a really sad, sad way to look at life. A really sad and kind of dark outlook on life, in my opinion. And I just kind of felt kind of like, kind of saddened and like compassionate towards this particular person because that's their like, that's their experience, but they think that's like so great. So anyways, I was really pondering that for a while and for many days since that conversation and um, you know Prabhupada bringing it up here again in the 26th purport again just bringing those memories or the, those thoughts back up so I guess I, I don't really have much to share I think it's just really that just the idea that if God was impersonal and you know we just commit spiritual suicide when it's all over and it's all said and done then what's the purpose of anything like it's you know, we're talking about being mindful. We're talking about being m mindful for the purpose of having relationship. Otherwise, the, the idea of being mindful means nothing. So anyways, it, just these things that, that I was yeah. thinking about. As like you mentioned, like if uh, Brahman is like you're uh, basically into the God, like you get into the personality of God, I mean, then what's, like, then, like, basically you're restricting your mind to a certain extent. But in the devotional service, we know that there is uh, Goloka Vrindavan, and then we do the pastimes there. So there, it's unlimited, you know, like, the way we think. Like, basically the Brahman, like, it's end of it. Like, you are, you know, kind of, that's the point. Yeah, they say empty the mind. We say fill the mind. We want to fill the mind with Krishna bhakti. Yeah, yeah, and there is no relationship in that conception. So it's pretty sad. So it's pretty sad existence. So all they can have is an illusion of being God, and maybe some peace of mind, possibly. Also, yeah. Well, it also reminds me of a lot of people who are into impersonal philosophy. They say, well, reality is beyond words. And Prabhupada says something like, uh, you know, once you, um, basically that that's when the real talking starts, when you start talking about God and his pastimes and his associates and his beauty and his form. <laughs> you know, it's just the opposite. You know, the other, yesterday, it was yesterday, I, I was um, doing a sketch of Krishna and I, you know, it was almost impossible because it was such a realization. Krishna spoke young and old, and um, serious and, and lighthearted, and you know, all of these things, you know, came through my little pencil, and it was just, it was an extraordinary experience. And I find like I'm not really that talented, um, but when I attempt to do Krishna, I feel like there's really a relationship, and there is really. A personality that is having a relationship with me and sometimes it's really frightening in a way because it becomes so very real yeah, you know? and then I have one more thing I want to say um, like you know perhaps my idea about passion in the kitchen I didn't today it was interesting because Kirtan after Mangala already said Mataji you are so enthusiastic and I realized maybe what I'm thinking of as passion is really enthusiasm and and that's really quite different isn't it Right. You know, one has a very, like, we want to be enthusiastic in our devotional service, um, so we might think, or I might think that that's kind of passionate and that it would really call for a more, um, you know, even-keeled personality, but for me that wouldn't really work because I'd be suppressing my natural gregariousness, which is enthusiastic. The devotees who are associated with Lord Jaitanya, they're so eager yeah. to, to cook for the Lord and to serve, invite him over for meals. They were supplying so much for shot, it was like unlimited. And being so, celebratory. Right, yeah. right. They're very, very, very eager. Yeah, there, there's playful pastimes too for Shadow. In, in both Jaitanya's Lila and Krishna Lila. So, one thing is, is look at when we want to examine how to go deeper, just look at where our intentions are. And just try to focus more on, on, on Krishna. Mm -hmm. Really bring it back to thinking about that we're taking care of Krishna. We have a deity. Um, you know, Krishna's hungry. You know, just try, try to get back in that, that mindset. Mm -hmm. And that will always make what we're doing sweeter, more pure, mm -hmm. more 
powerful. So, yeah. yeah. Sure. And one more thing that I realized uh, that uh, when we are doing, we are not doing. It's like Krishna is making us do it. Like it's like he, we are just instruments. It's like uh, yeah. it's not us. Kind of attitude helps me. Yeah, we're either being forced by the modes, or we're being pulled by Krishna's um, revelation, his, his love. So either way, we're being forced. So that's the examination we do. Is how am I being motivated? What is pulling me now in this direction? And is it as pure as I want to be? Because the devotee is always thinking, I can make it better. I can make it more pure. So that's nice meditation. I can make this, this offering even better. So. <laughs> nice challenge, right? Well, it's constant awareness, as everybody said, constant mindfulness mm -hmm. as to intention, motivation, mood, etc. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in terms of Krishna being known through words, Srila Prabhupada said that we could write a newspaper at every moment on this Krishna concept. Oh, yeah, I think Srila Prabhupada's guru, yeah, Srila Bhakti Siddhanta. Yeah. Said that, yeah. Yeah, Srila Prabhupada, um, he repeated that. Yeah. And um, it said that there, there is no end to the uh, glorifications of Krishna. So it's not that there's, there's no words, it's that there's not enough words of the real. Understanding this, there's so many words because yeah. Ananta, you know, is always attempting to glorify the Lord, but he can never reach the limit of that glorification because the Lord is so unlimited, he's so beautiful, glorious in every way. So, I heard my Facebook the other day say, News from the spiritual world is infinite, yeah, and I'm yeah. going, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so let's see what Mari Mohini Mataji says. So she chose text 27, chapter 14. Who is this? Mari Mohini Mataji. Okay. Yeah. And so eternal happiness, imperishable happiness, eternal life accompany devotional service. Understanding. When a devotee approaches the Lord, there is an exchange of the six opulences of the Lord. So when one engages in devotional service, one receives some of the opulences of the Lord, just like a servant of the king enjoys almost on an equal level with the king. Application. I wish to serve the Lord and to enjoy transcendental happiness, so I will engage in devotional service in the nine processes of it. I will endeavor to always engage in the service of the Lord, to eat the remnants of Fusaf's, offered to the deity, smell the flowers offered to the lotus feet of the Lord, read of the different activities of the Lord, his reciprocation of love with his devotees, chant always a transcendental vibration, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, and observe the fasting days commemorating the appearances and disappearance of the Lord and his devotees. You keep doing that, and you are going far. That's great. All right, so this is. I'll read my um, discovery. That's part two. Okay, so this is from 1427 purport. Devotional service to the Lord is very simple. One should always engage in the service of the Lord, should eat remnants of foodstuffs offered to the deity, smell the flowers offered to the lotus feet of the Lord. See the places where the Lord had his transcendental pastimes. Read of the different activities of the Lord, his reciprocation of love with his devotees. Chant always a transcendental vibration. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Forget I chose this section. <laughs> and observe the fasting days commemorating the appearances and disappearances of the Lord and his devotees. By following such a process, one becomes completely detached from all material activities. One who can thus situate himself in the Brahma Jyoti, or the different varieties of the Brahman conception, is equal to the Supreme Personality of Godhead in quality. So this is the understanding. Simple yet powerful. Fire is simple, yet it acts swiftly and forcefully. The soul longs for love, and Krishna is the reservoir of that love everyone is seeking. Thus, when one tastes the sweetness of that love through any one of the nine processes of bhakti-yoga, the illusory energy becomes, begins to quickly melt away. 
By experiencing a higher taste, we forget the lower ones. By experiencing Krishna's embrace, we can give up the embrace of Maya. Uh, application. I pray not to forget the power of devotional service and my intrinsic necessity for such sweet, blissful daily activities. If I forget my medicine, even for a moment, the disease of illusion sweeps in, overpowering my mind and senses. Therefore, O oh dear mind, please worship Krishna and give up all materially motivated activities. In this way, become completely satisfied and blissful in Krishna's eternal service. Through constant remembrance of the power of devotional service by chanting Krishna's holy names and seeking out Krishna's devotees for instruction and service, by your grace, my success is assured. Konteya pratijani hi name bhakta pranashati. You know what that means? Declare it boldly, O Arjuna, my devotee never perishes. So, by the grace of Guru, we can begin the process of devotional service. And if we stick to that, Krishna promises, Kanteya Patijani Hinami Bhakta My devotee never perishes. So, do we have any last comments or realizations? Elijah? More realizations? How are you? Doing okay? Are you all joining us in Harinam tonight? I am not. I'll be there. I got a question about what you just read. Okay. So, Krishna says, my devotee never perishes. So, how do we understand that? Because every... Every soul, whether he's Krishna's devotee or not, is eternal. So what does he mean when he says, my devotee never perishes? So when we're acting in our constitutional position, because to be a devotee means to be engaged in that exchange. So if a living entity has denied that exchange of love, then they can perish in the illusory conception. But when, when the devotee is, is serving, when the devotee is practicing devotional service, even if on the beginning, then Krishna says, uh, He says, you can never lose that. So not only do you not lose that, but at every, every step, every interval, the Lord is trying to help us go deeper. So, that so process. when he talks about, <clears throat> when he uses the word perish, he's meaning it in the sense uh, of like going into illusion, not of becoming extinct. <laughs> yeah. In other words, every activity done in devotion is 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 um, is a winning process. Oh, okay. It's a su- successful process. He, he doesn't he doesn't allow anything done in service to him to go in vain. He propels that service. He, he propels a devotee. Yeah. Like it, it reminds me of the verse in the Bible where where it says, "My people perish for lack of knowledge." So it, it reminded me of that. Yeah, we perish when we're identified with the body right. and we're engaging in, in illusory activities. Mm-hmm. But like Kanteya uh, declare boldly, like my devotee never perishes. What verse is that in Yeah, I think that's towards the end. That's 18th chapter, right? Let's look it up. Let's look it up. I believe it's towards the end of Bhagavad Gita. Well, also because there is no real life other than the spiritual life. So if you're not engaged in spiritual life, you're on the you're you're engaged in perishing and diminishing. Right. Right, because if you're on the bodily platform, the body is always diminishing and, and dying. So it's actually the end of the ninth chapter, I'm sorry. Most, com- most confidential knowledge. He, acts quick- <clears throat> he quickly becomes righteous and attains lasting peace. O son of Kunti, declare boldly that my devotee never perishes. The last verse of the ninth chapter? Uh, not, not quite the last, thir- the 31st. Yeah. Then a couple of verses it says, How much more... This is so, the righteous brahmanas, the devotees, and the saintly kings. Therefore, having come to this temporary miserable world, engage in loving service unto me. Engage your mind always in thinking of me. Become my devotee. Offer obeisances to me and worship me. Being completely absorbed in me, surely you will come to me. So, 
he's saying my devotee never perishes, and then he's showing the processes by which we can be a devotee. Yeah. Anything else? I just want to mention. What's your name again? Oh, okay, you were mentioning earlier in the class about how everything's in the outside world here is so dark. You know, she was mentioning. And it just reminded me of, uh, like, Srila Bhaktisiddhanta. He said, Western civilization must be crushed. Mm-hmm. You know, when I read that, I was really shocked by that statement. But really, all the negative stuff we see out there, that's Western civilization. If we see that in India, it's because of the bad influence of Western civilization. It's not from the Vedic civilization. So that's what it, it just reminded me of that. And that's Krishna's process of coming. He, he destroys the demonic nature. And so there's a continual cycle of, of the destruction in this world. Because with destruction comes rebirth. And with rebirth comes another chance. Right? There's, there's a, there's a pure, because, we, because in this world we're, we're acting on such a degraded consciousness, we're causing so much chaos. And so through time, through the Lord's descent, these things become wiped clean. The slate becomes wiped clean, and then there's birth. Bhutva, bhutva, pradiyate. It's a constant cycle of destruction and rebirth. Hare Krishna Prabhu. To your point, adding, like I heard from the Guru Maharaj lecture, in 1840s, uh, the British wanted to take over India and uh, the British general, he couldn't, uh, he, when he saw the Indian uh, Vedic system, he was like surprised that they wouldn't come, they wouldn't be able to occupy and it's a true statement. So the only way he said that we can take over is to get our culture in there yeah. and to attract the people for the materialistic lives. Yeah. There's a eddy against the current of, of pure consciousness. So you can see, although things are really degraded, now if you travel around the world, like I was traveling to India, seeing all the airports in Germany, everywhere, there's veg restaurants. Veg is becoming really big. And it's, it's a big movement all around the world. It's not just in America. Vegan, vegetarian. So this is a, a big transformation of consciousness. Because we know everything comes from the consciousness. And this is the, the golden age of Lord Jaitanya. So we have faith that as time progresses, um, actually things will get better in this golden age. And uh, more, there'll be so many devotees. There's already so many devotees, but there'll be more. Like Will Smith's daughter, right? Yeah. Shane. Tulsi Gabbard, Tulsi Gabbard. Yeah. A couple hours ago? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. That was cool. Oh, I was going to say, like, um, I'm almost, like, grateful that all these things are going on because I see it as, you know how in the army there's boot camp and then there's so many, like, different fields with obstacles and things like that, but the purpose of it is to let the cadet know, like, where he is and where he needs growth. So I, I see this, uh, like, as a humongous boot camp. So it, it it's, like... It reminds me, um, like it, it points out where I need growth, and I, it, it's, it's, so I'm almost like grateful for everything going on around me, even though it's like bad, but in a way it's good at the same time because it lets you know, like, are you growing? Where, where do you need to work on and these things? So I don't know. I see it that way. It's a good point because it's yeah. Krishna's timing, right? Krishna is ultimately the one running the show. So how he has it arranged is actually, there's nothing wrong. And it said that in the Vedas, there's no need to criticize the material nature, to praise or criticize it. Like Krishna is actually creating a situation by which at this particular time, these persons on the planet are, have an environment that is conducive for whatever their desires are and whatever uh, state of conscious development is needed. So yeah, it is, and that's a nice way to look at it. Is that wherever I am, it's, it's an opportunity to make progress. So yeah, it's a good point. The last, in fact, the last question we had here talked a little bit about that. You know, what was your basically? You know, when uh, for the modes, you know, influenced by the modes, 
and uh, also an example of when you felt or more or less transcendental in the modes or you felt influenced by the modes. So in a way that's kind of what we're talking about in that way. Yeah. You know, um, uh, for me it was both you know, dealing with cancer and, and of course the accident, you know. Yeah. So I mean, these, these types, that's extreme cases, but that's, you know, you, you, you do that and you just, you have to kind of go past that, you know, you sort of, well, you know, reach a certain time when I was told I had cancer, I was reaching a certain point in time, I went, oh gee, that's, that's great, you know, that doesn't matter, you know, what's going on, you know. But then after you get to a certain point where you're getting the treatments and you're going through it, and then you get your mindset right, that this is just something that I have to experience in this life. This is something that's just, but it's something, there's something to learn here. There's something to, to adventure through this. You know, there's something to, that's a lot deeper than just what's happening on a superficial level. So that's when you have to, that's when you're just transcending over that material type of nature. So yeah, but any, any time you go through boot camp, same way. When the military, when they went the military, it was the same thing. You went through boot camp and you had to do that too. Yeah, yeah, because you, you had to kind of transcend, okay, what's, what's you know, I, of course I put myself here, I'm doing this, you know. But at the same time, it's more than just that. It's you're molding something else. And plus it even is above that, you know. So the atheists are thinking it's all just random. We're thinking Krishna is, is yeah. setting the way. Yeah. So what's really nice about all that is the fact that Krishna has left the instruction manual of all instruction manuals behind so that we can find a way back home. Yes. So yes. he doesn't just... Yeah. It's not like he just, okay. he just leaves us, you know, high and dry to figure it out on our own. No, he's given us... And there's devotees too, which yeah. are like the... The officials in the boot camp. Yeah. Like, you know, they're the ones like, no, you gotta go. Like, come on, get up. Yeah. <laughs> so it's the instruction manual, and then Krishna comes back as Lord Chaitanya to show how to follow the instruction. Yeah. <laughs> and taps is the Mahamantra. That's oh, taps. nice. I like yeah. that. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> we, we know our march, right? Yeah, we know our, our march is that. Off the topic, when is Nirjalekana Shri? It's Thursday. Yeah. Who's going to do Nirjal? I'm thinking, I don't know how much I can make. You're going to be at work? You're gonna be at work? I'm thinking of taking off. But oh, you have to take off to do yeah, that. Yeah. You can't be at work and do Nirjal. Can you actually do it? Yeah. Have to we're going to be serving the devotee <laughs> Krishna code, but we're not going to be able to have any. <laughs> I got to say, some near Jal Kaurishi has been some of the sweetest experiences in Krishna consciousness. And, yeah, it's, it's, there's a lot of reciprocation. I'm going to do it, yeah. but I always do it or work yeah. or something. With the sleep, you were, like you took rest? In I took some rest. Some rest. I, I, did. <laughs> I, my I didn't stay up all night. That, yeah. Like the whole night chanting yeah, yeah, yeah. and all, I don't know. It's like, <laughs> I didn't quite go that far. No, I heard, I heard that the, the, real, the real way to do Nirjal is the day before you just have like lunch. Mm-hmm. And then on Nirjal, you fast from food and water. And then you stay up all night and chant and read devotional literature. And then the next day, you just have one meal. That's what, that's what I heard. I've never got anything near that, but that's what I heard. <laughs> yeah. Usually what, what, I've, what I've done is, is have a big meal at night. Is <laughs> and then a lot, lots of water, lots of fluids. Especially when we're, we're in the desert, you know, have lots of water, lots of, and a nice meal. And then go without water or food the whole next day. And chant sixty-four rounds. Oh, yeah. that's that's, that's the you're chanting a lot because it's it's hard. At least for me, it's hard to be reading too much. Yeah. It's because I mean, the morning you can, but as the day goes yeah. on, it's almost oh, easier to just chant. Just chanting, yeah. Stay yeah. stay in a cool place right. and chant. Yeah. That's what we did last year. Energy, it would be way powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So at the temple, any any of you are invited to the temple. To do your job with us. You can be in the temple room or in here. Yeah. yeah. So really, you're trying to. Mm-hmm. I do that. My ass. Chanting here. Mm-hmm. In this room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is. It is easier when you're with devotees. Yeah. Definitely. Just talking about the pastimes. Mm-hmm. Doing some kirtan. Yeah. Yeah. You did it last year, right, Ken? 
Yeah, sixty four rounds, right? I did sixty four rounds last year. That was that was like, a I mess, man. I ain't never done The problem is that when I just because I didn't I was about a year a year and a half out of cancer. So the problem is is that radiation unfortunately gives you a really bad dry mouth. So I had to swish my mouth with water and spit it out just to keep it moist. Yeah. You know? And I gargled even because my throat got so dry and then spit it out. So it was but you know, you have to kind of you know, depending on your health or whatever, but yeah, but yeah, but yeah, it just it just became more exactly. But it, it was amazing. Yeah, it was right. Amazing. Sweet, right? <laughs> These days are really. Yeah, we went out on Harry Nam last year. That's Do you remember right. that? Yeah. So we did near jaw all day, then we went out. Oh, on Harry Nam. Yeah, right. We were really tired out. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Near means water. No, sorry. Near means water. Near means. No water. No water. Thank you.